figuring out how to balance that pace of a thriller with the world building of a space opera or a space adventure. Right? How do you how do you provide enough information to the reader to make this world believable as a secondary universe while keeping them moving forward at that thriller pace? And so I really had to pull back a lot on, oh, but I really want to tell you about these trees. I really want to tell you about this culture and its language. Nope, not here. Not save that for the epic space opera. Do you love science fiction and fantasy books? You've found yourself in the right dimension. Welcome to the greatest podcast in the multiverse, where each week I talk to science fiction and fantasy authors about myth, magic, and the infinite possibilities of storytelling. I'm your host, Herman Stuernagel, and I'll be taking you on a journey with some of your favorite authors, helping you to get to know them and possibly uncover some new literary gems along the way. Ready to explore? Because on this show, Every conversation is a doorway into a different world. Welcome back to the greatest podcast in the multiverse. I'm glad that you could join me today for episode four. We have a great guest today for you, Jonathan Nevere. He is the author of a genre called Spy-Fi. And if you've never heard of that before, don't worry, you're not alone, because I never heard of it either until I talked to him. But we have a great conversation. We're going to talk to him about the genre about science fiction in general, about his world-building process, and about um, creating aliens, and his new, newest novel, Stellar Instinct. Before we get there, a bit of a personal update for you. Um, I do have a, quite a bit going on this week. First of all, if you happen to be in Kelowna, British Columbia this weekend, I will be there at the Capitol News Center for the Kelowna Comic Con. And that is August 19th and 20th, 2023, for those of you listening in the future. I'll be, I have a booth there. I'll be selling and signing books. So come on by and say hi. It would be great to hear from you. I'm also working on the final edits for my book, Chimera. Chimera is the second book in my Fractured Orbit series. And that's going to be coming out in October, which is only seven weeks away now, which is kind of hard to believe. Just about done wrapping up those edits, and then I will be sending copies to my advanced readers. You can pre-order a copy today on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Paperback copies are up for pre-order on those two platforms. You might be able to find them elsewhere as well. Um, those are the only two I've confirmed right now. All other platforms, the novel should be available shortly in both paperback and in hardcover. Um, so keep an eye on that. I will have information on my personal website, hermanstuernagel.com. You can also find links on the show's website, greatestpodcastinthemultiverse.com. Be sure to check out my Facebook and Instagram pages. You can find both of those at Greatest Podcast in the Multiverse. As well, please hit the like and subscribe button on whatever podcast app you happen to be listening to this on or on YouTube. This channel is just getting started and those actions greatly help me out and I appreciate all the support that you provided for me in the last few weeks as the show gets going. So today, as I said, we have Jonathan Never on. We had a great conversation. Um, I had a really great chat with him. He is a very intellectual writer. We went into detail about his writing process and I could have really talked to him for hours. So we will definitely have him back on the podcast. But for now, enjoy our conversation. I will get read his bio and we'll get started with the interview. Jonathan Never is a science fiction writer and the pen name for art historian and college professor at a small art and design college in Philadelphia. 
After two decades of academic teaching and publishing, he finally got up the nerve to write fiction. His space opera trilogy, Windtide, was inspired by ancient Greek texts and myths, and released in 2021. Stellar Instinct is a standalone spy-fi adventure in space, and is his latest release, which was December 2022. Jonathan lives in southeastern Pennsylvania with his wife and rambunctious mountain feist, Frigate. When not writing and teaching, he spends his time chasing his dogs through the woods and hoping he'll be able to walk in space before he croaks. Find him online at jnevere. Hello and welcome to the greatest podcast in the multiverse. I am super excited today to have a very special guest, Jonathan Nevere. Welcome here, Jonathan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I've been following Jonathan on social media. We were talking a little bit before the show for for a bit of quite a bit of time. Um, our sci-fi novels have kind of, I think, been on social media at the same time. So we've, we've kind of uh, bumped up against each other in that way. But this is the first time I've had the pleasure of talking to Jonathan face to face. So I'm really happy that you can join me here today. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. And congrats on the uh, podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> so Jonathan, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about your writing journey and uh, what's brought you to this point in your author career? Sure. So I've been writing science fiction for about four or five years. Um, I have a long history of writing and publishing on a more academic side from my uh, other job and my other self. And um, I've always wanted to write fiction. Um, And I had a couple false starts along the way in my 20s and 30s where I tried out a couple of things, but just never really held and stuck. And um, then I just reached a point where I finally decided it was time to get down to business and really give it a go. And I think I had reached a point in my other career too, where I was looking for a kind of a different approach towards writing that gave me a little more freedom and um, working with science fiction uh, and in particular, just fiction, as opposed to writing sort of research-based nonfiction just gave me that doorway to really do something very different and exciting. And um, I wrote a book that gave me my literary sea legs and sort of made me understand how to write a book. Uh, That was a really bad book. (laughs) And I put that one aside. And then I wrote my first book that actually is out there, uh, Goodbye to the Sun, which started me off. And then once that happened, I was off to the races. um, And just, you know, that was it. Yeah, we always, we seem to have to get um, that first book out of the way for a lot of writers. I know, like for me, I did publish my first book. It's uh, maybe I should have taken a little bit more time before I did, but uh, definitely that's a common story. That first novel has often ends up in a desk drawer to collect dust or or revisit later, as the case sometimes happens to be. Yeah, I hear it a lot. Actually, yeah. it, it does come up quite a bit. Yeah, and I'm glad mine's in the drawer. It's like Readers of the Lost Ark. You know, it's like the, right. the Ark is. <laughs> back in the warehouse never to be seen (laughs) in storage somewhere absolutely exactly that's fantastic so you know so you um what's your what's your what's your other background that you were writing but not necessarily fiction if you don't mind sharing that. yeah sure so i'm a um i'm an art historian um and i I teach at a small art and design college in philadelphia so i come out of a very sort of research-based background but you know art is such a subjective subject, right, in terms of the way we engage with it, that there's always been a certain amount of freedom in there to, in terms of especially description. And I, I think that, you know, the, the the kind of way in which you have to transcribe 
a visual thing into a written language has benefited me as in my fiction writing too. But it has been very liberating to go from a kind of research-based methodology where I have to rely on evidence, and if the evidence isn't there, you just can't do it, to having the freedom of, of, a, of a fiction approach where you're really speculating. You just have to world build, right, with yeah. consistency and <laughs> convincing, right, convincing um, sort of innovation. Right, yeah, you know, and going from uh, I mean, if you're doing a lot of research in that field, going into something where you're really just cre- where you're creating a world, um, definitely a different element of, in there for you. Absolutely. Wonderful. So uh, so how many books do you have out currently? So I have four books currently published. I have a trilogy, which is a um, epic space opera. That's Wind Tide and that's Goodbye to the Sun, Jotty's Wager and No Song But Silence. Uh, and then I have one standalone. It's a uh, hybrid genre. It's a, it's basically spy-fi, which is a combination of um, spy fiction, espionage fiction, thriller, and um, space adventure and space opera. And that's right. Stellar Instinct. Right. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Stellar Instinct today because that's your that's Great. your most current release. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So um, I look forward to chatting a little bit more about that. Um, but first, I'd like to know a little bit more about, um, you know, what what's the motivation behind your storytelling, and like, what's the why and of why you're why you went this way and are are pursuing the this author career of yours? Yeah, that's such a great question too. What's the why? I love that. Um, you know, I think that for me, the draw again is with speculative fiction is the simple fact that we can speculate, and I really, for me, am interested in sort of speculating beyond the possible, right? But thinking about that in relationship to the tangible. And it's that kind of tension between, you know, what do we have now? What kind of structures exist? Whether they're power structures, whether they're social and cultural structures, whether they're geographic structures, and how can we surpass them? How can we revise them? How can we um, throw them out and destroy them and start over from them? And what's possible from there? And I I really think that's the why for me, is that idea of building those models out and then inhabiting them with characters who can play out ideas, specifically, I think, around ethics. I'm very, very driven by ethics and morality in most of my stories. Wonderful. That's... um... Very well stated. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, just the, you know, being able to speculate and getting involved in speculative, speculative fiction and bringing that into the tangible. And, you know, um, I, I really love that. That's such a, a great way to put that. So <laughs> I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, because um, it's so true, I think, as speculative fiction authors and, and I think even as readers, uh, we want to, that's what we're looking for. We're looking to use our imagination, yeah. but also, you know, to bring make sense of reality through through the fantastical really absolutely yeah that's awesome what does your writing process look like um you know (laughs) on a good on a good day (laughs) it's funny i recently wrote a short piece called the the writing is like lasagna um (laughs) writing pauses are like lasagna um just about knowing kind of when you need to step back and let something sit over, sit for a bit. Okay. But my writing process, um, I'm, I'm pretty much, I'm kind of like right in between a, uh, a planner and a discovery writer, okay. a plotter and a discovery writer. Um, I definitely usually begin with a character. 
Um, I'm a character-driven writer, so character comes first. Usually a character and some sort of problem or motivation or responsibility. Um, And from there, I usually write a a scene out of nowhere. Um, And then I step back from there, and then I try to build out really a larger story. Um, I definitely think in terms of act structures and plot points. Um, I'm very big on story beats. Um, You know, maybe toying with them a little bit, moving them around, but I'm definitely someone who lays out a roadmap. But what I like to say is that I usually like to have an exit ramp or a destination for a scene, but I have no idea how I'm going to get there. Okay. And so it kind of allows for a lot of serendipity, but yet there's still a targeted, I need to get here so that the next plot point or the next moment in the storyline can develop or the foreshadowing, whatever it is. Um, And I tend to be a kind of a scene-based writer so i'm not okay. like a word count person like i have a friend who's a very word count author and he's like got my 500 in you know for me it's more like um nope i need to write this scene okay and so i'll, I'll go scene by scene and then the last thing i'll say is that then i'm also a edit as you go okay. so i will write a scene yep. i will step back i'll read it again and flesh it out i'll read it again and flesh it out i'll read it again and edit it i'll read it again and edit it and then I'll go to the next scene. Okay. So by the time I'm done, I'm pretty much at like 90%. And it's a matter of going back and doing work on like, you know, cadence and rhythm and word choices and cleanup. Yeah. That sounds like a great approach. And I don't know if my when brain it works, can, it can is handle that. Yeah. <laughs> when it works. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I could pull, I, I have so many questions um, from that entire, <laughs> entire section there. But um I want to drill a little bit more into your your character process um, because you said a character comes to you first. How Mm -hmm. developed is that character when it comes to you? How Mm -hmm. much are you working that character before you actually put them in a situation? Yeah, Um, They usually don't have much to them. Um, They kind of just manifest. And, you know, I usually have some sort of like a image of them somewhere, um, but I don't really understand too much of why until I start writing. And I would say that usually I don't even know much about them by the time that first scene is done. I just know, oh, here you are. You're, you're a person or you're a thing, right? And you're in this place. Um, or you're, you know, you're, you're reflecting, maybe if it's first person or something like that past, you're reflecting on, on something that's happened. But um, I usually, after that, as part of the plotting and planning process, I usually begin to think about wants and needs, Okay. And, you know, then there's wonderful moments where like another character introdu- it gets introduced that causes conflict with them. And usually it's through that process of writing uh, their engagement that I myself come to realize what a theme is or right, what, what, the, yeah. what, their, what their wants are and, and what they're going to need to get by the end. Okay. Yeah. So you have, you know, so you have this kind of a, a character come to you and it's really through that writing process that you're getting to know them and, uh, and yep. the story kind Absolutely. of builds around them. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm definitely a kind of like get to know you as I write writer mm-hmm. as in terms of a character. Um, and you know, sometimes they'll surprise you. You probably know this too, <laughs> right? Like, Oh, where's this going? And like, you know, I, I used to resist that a lot and I'd be like, mm-hmm. no, I don't want you to go that way. <laughs> but the more I write and I, the more I realize like, you, you're, you're telling me to go this way and I'm almost like the medium. Um, right. Yeah. And know. I find too, the more that you kind of resist what the character wants to do, the 
more off track the story gets. Totally. And, uh, and yeah. you know, because you've created, once you get those wants and needs, you really, you know, the character really takes on a life of their own and they kind of yeah. are like, no, this is how I would do it. So you better yep. come along with me for the ride. <laughs> I don't want you to do this. Don't do it. Right. Yes. But it's like, but the story wants you to do it and it's going to be better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> um, so what, what authors have inspired you in your process? Um, oh, you know, gosh. you, you kind of have a good, I mean, you have yeah. two series out right now or a standalone and a series yep. and, they're, and they are kind of very different and yeah in what they've done. Um, what authors have inspired you and, in, you know, in your work? So I admit for this question, I made a, I made a cheat sheet because mm-hmm. I really had to think about it. So yeah. first and foremost, right off the top of my head, I would say Becky Chambers. Um, there is a way in which Becky Chambers has this gift to write characters that are so normal and so down to earth, yet they're in an extraordinarily different world um, and I, and I just really, really, uh, gravitate to that. And I look to that as a kind of inspiration. Um, there's a lot of heart and warmth in their, in those characters and they feel very real. Um, but, but they don't tip the scale into kind of like, you know, sappy or unbelievable. They, they right. remain sort of tangible to me. Um, Arkady Martin, um, I think is an author who I'm also in awe of, um, the kind of, the beautiful writing, first of all, and the language of, of how Martine writes, but also the um, the way that she can express vastness and sort of just like, but with this wonderful subtlety and nuance and to go from such a small detail to such a big detail. I love that. Um, N.K. Jemison okay. for voice, like world building, of course, with Jemison, but, but voice too. I mean, it's just like, wow. Um, and Old school Arthur C. Clarke was my gateway literary drug into science fiction. Um, and really for that kind of like, I always say this when people ask me, but like the sublime cosmos, just right. That's that way he can give you that like wonder yeah. and yeah. awe, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it makes me, how do you write like something where you, you imagine this minute little spaceship against this vast stellar blanket? Yeah. Like, uh, love that. Um, you know, Martha Wells, uh, I only have two more, but Martha Wells, um, Murderbot series, the brevity, like how do you do such lean writing, right? And the snark, love it. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, I'll say uh, David Gemmel um, to go fantasy. Um, Gemmel's tragic characters, I really gravitate towards. I like, I like the way Gemmel writes heroism with a kind of a flawed tragedy to it. Okay. It's really powerful to me. That's my, that's my short fantastic list, short believe list. it yeah. or not. That's fantastic. You know, but, and um, I, I think that's, you know, that's a wide range of influence and that's great because you have so many elements that you can pull from each of those examples yeah. into your writing and, and different examples too. I mean, I'm, I'm actually reading now um, the lonely or long journey to a lone, small angry planet by mm-hmm. Becky Chambers. And um, I know I butchered that title. <laughs> but, <laughs> long way to small angry planet, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah that's the one. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really enjoying it. But, to, you know, yeah. and then to pull someone like Arthur C. Clarke or N.K. Jemison into there, those are vastly different writers. But totally. you can pull yep. pieces of that inspiration into your own work yeah. um, or into, you know, what you're, what you're inspired by. That is a, a good collection. Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. It's a great, it's a great book. I really enjoyed it. I also yeah. like the new two novellas are wonderful too. The monk and robots. 
Yeah, I've read, I've listened to the first one uh, recently yeah, as great. well, and it's, it's wonderful. It really I did is. it on audio as well, and it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's just so um, warm and cozy. Like, I mean, they are cozy sci-fi, and it's yeah. um, there's a lot of inspiration in them as well. So Yeah, and I think that just to kind of round back a little bit, like, that's what I think I really like about it, is you don't sacrifice a kind of a stronger philosophy and theme of with but at the same time you hold on to the cozy like the ecological yeah. themes and that monk and robot are so wonderful and they're there in in the discourse right next to the kind of the down-to-earth coziness yeah. and, and that homeliness connected with that I, I, is a is a really amazing thing it really is yeah well yeah. well crafted for sure <laughs> all right well let's talk about your book can you tell us about stellar instinct and uh, and yeah. what is it all about <laughs> so Stellar Instinct is basically it is a secret agent thriller adventure set in a galactic empire, uh, set, in, set in a galact galactic empire, so a uh, multi-species galactic empire. So it, it features an uh, agent named Laleen Renault, who works for an organization called GAMOPS, which is Galactic Agency Maintaining Order, Peace, and Security. I had to think about that acronym for a minute. Um, and it is very much a sort of a, you know, a kind of a James Bond style or a uh, Mission Impossible style secret agent story, but set in this sort of far future galactic environment, which gives a lot of interesting possibilities. But uh, the story follows her on a, on, a, on a mission where she has to confront a kind of a really puzzling um, tension between reality and virtual reality uh, against an entertainment tycoon. And it turns out that there's larger cosmic forces at work and some very interesting ongoing mysteries that need to be uncovered. And she and her team, which you would expect a typical kind of tropey team for a secret agent story, um, have to do their best to, to, to stop him. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And so I know we talked a little bit about your author inspirations, but what was your, what was kind of the inspiration behind this story in particular? Mm. So I've always been a big fan of secret agent uh, thrillers and assassin stories and whatnot growing up. And I guess I, I, I always wanted to write one. Um, but I don't write primary world fiction. Um, I don't actually read a lot of primary world fiction either. Um, I very much love fantasy and science fiction that is set in secondary worlds. Um, it's just kind of what draws me. And so I, I thought to myself, you know, well, I really want to write a spy thriller, you know, and I've got all these ideas and I, I feel like I know the genre so well because I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, you know, sort of when there was this long running spate of them and then Mission Impossibles happened and Atomic Blonde, which I absolutely love. Um, and I thought, I really want to do this, but I want to write in the secondary world. And so the solution was, well, you know, let's just do the both of them. And it turned out there was a subgenre that was already there called spy-fi, um, which basically is sort of looking to more future technologies, but in a more like a Cold War environment. But I just kind of appropriated that same concept in a secondary universe. Okay. Yeah, you know, and it's, uh, it's a subgenre that I wasn't familiar with really before I came across your work. And it, um, it, the only thing I could compare it to was like cowboy bebop or something, but that's totally. not even really totally it. Right. So but that's a really uh, big, that was a really big influence on me too. I had just okay. watched, 
Yeah, I just watched the new version. Yeah. Right around the time I was writing this, and absolutely, it was it was an inspiration. Okay. That's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, because that's you know when I was like, what is this even like? It's like this, but not kind of. But yeah, so I, it's great to hear that was an inspiration. I was, that, oh, that's a super compliment you just gave me. So I'll take it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, yeah. So you know, can you? I know uh, you talked a little bit about SpyFi, but can you tell us a little yeah. bit more about you know how that how it kind of fits in with space? Yeah. Like, is there like is that is there kind of a niche within SpyFi that's you know the space space? There's a little bit, you know, um, you know, so there's people like Dan Moran who wrote um, a series that was a very much a Cold War galactic spy fi. The Byron Agenda is the first book in that series. Um, and, you know, that was a really good example of someone sort of taking a really classic Cold War era sort of spy thriller and dropping it into a galactic universe. Um uh, just out now, Megan O'Keefe has written a book called *The Blight*. The, the Blight. Uh, the Blighted Star. Is that it? The Blighted Star. I think. Um, I haven't read it yet, oh, but familiar. that features a spy uh, also in space. Okay. But there aren't exactly too many of them. Um, okay. There's there's a lot there's a lot more that, out there, but um, you know it's not something that has a lot to it. You get a lot of detectives, a lot of xeno archaeologists who end up on missions that are very much like yeah. a secret agent might take on, but it, right. a more standard. And not I, I'll I'll make a distinction. There's a dif- difference between an espionage thriller and a sp- secret agent okay. thriller. Okay. Um, so you what know, are the in differences way, there? Well, they're subtle, but, you know, a, an espionage thriller is going to be something like, you know, you might get with a Le Carre book, right? Like, um, you're going to have an agency that's involved with, uh, you know, intelligence, right? They're going to have operatives in the field, okay. but it's going to be a much more nuanced cloak and dagger uh, mystery-based, usually thriller that involves, you know, information and asset, usually a file or something that needs to be gotten. There's a lot of political double dealing uh, and confusion in that sense. Whereas I think the secret agent style thriller is much more of your sort of, you know, what I guess comes out of like a James Bond, Ian Fleming, right. Jason Bourne, right? It's like the lone character given an assignment by their authoritative okay right? Organizational figure. They have help, you know, with technology. Um, but really at a certain point, they're going to go it alone in the big showdown between the enemy and there's going to be spectacular action scenes. Um, and that's going to lead you to some sort of big, big finish, uh, by the end. Yeah. And you know, and it's such a spectacular and it almost seems like an obvious crossover to, to do like, you know, you, we, there's such a big, um, you know, the Jason Bourne and Jack Ryan and that sort of, totally. um, yeah. that sort of narrative, putting it into a space setting just seems like the natural fit, but it just hasn't happened too much. <laughs> I know. I mean, Hollywood needs to call us on the red scrambler and like, you know, yeah. I mean, seriously, but I, <laughs> hey, I agree. Right. I mean, there aren't that many, <laughs> you know, are there, I know there's some other subgenres that you've worked into the novel as well. Yeah. Um, you know, how did you work with tropes and kind of meeting yeah. reader expectations coming into kind of a, a different cross of subgenres, um, but still, yeah. you know, giving them something that was somewhat familiar that they would be able to latch yep. on to? Yeah. And this kind of feeds into a discussion about like balancing the kind of world building of science fiction and space opera with something like a thriller. It needs to have yeah. that paciness. But, um, you know, in terms of the, the, 
the genres, I think, and building it in, you know, from a structural perspective, what I really did was I sort of took a three-act structure that you might use for a space opera or anything that you might write in a secondary galactic universe. And then I looked particularly to the story beats that you would expect to see in a thriller, particularly in a spy thriller. And I tried to think about sort of bringing the story beats of a thriller into a three-act structure that's set in space. Okay. That's the best way I can put that. Yeah. So, you know, you've got these expected beats and also tropes, right, that you're going to want or expect to see in a espionage story or a secret agent story. And those had to be integrated in there. Okay. So, and so what kind of tropes, I guess, without getting into too much of yeah. a, you know, spoiler territory, but sure. what kind of tropes can readers expect in, in Seller Instinct? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know if these would qualify as tropes, these, these things, but you're going to get things like you're going to get red herrings. You're going to get MacGuffins, right? You're going to get misdirection based off of those, right? You're going to get moments where um, you're going to get these incredible twists, right? That are going to turn the plot line, but you're also going to get some standard tropes that you're going to expect to see. Like, you know, you're going to have the opening action sequence, right? Where the main character is going to demonstrate their amazing abilities, right? You're going to have the authoritative figure where there's a tension in their relationship, but nevertheless, there's, there is a certain point where you're going to get a kind of a flurry of investigations that's going to eventually lead to something congealing enough that it's going to become a official assignment. You're going to have the helpers, whether they're, in this case, the tech gadget wizard people, right? Um, or people people in the field, right, who are your resource assets. And, you know, you see this a lot in, in, in all of these kinds of films. Um, and then there's going to be the scene, you know, usually where you're, you know, you're going to expect this. There's going to be the confrontation with the, with the arch villain. There's going to be, this is, this is, this is yeah. a big one. You get the monologue. Right? right. Like I always tell people, if they want to, if they want to know what the tropes are for a secret agent story, watch Austin Powers. <laughs> it's true. Wow. That it's, is true. it's a deconstruct. Yeah. It's a, it's a parody. I mean, it's a, it's in a way it's a parody of that. And it really yeah. does just go over the top with them. Um, and it will show them to you, but you're going to get the monologue, right? You know, and then right. you're going to, you're going to get the showdown, um, and the ticking clock, right? These are right. things that you have to have. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's so fantastic that you point that point, you point that out about Austin Powers. Cause now it's like, of course that's what it is. That's a hundred percent what it is. hundred percent what it is. That's what makes it funny. Yeah. That's what makes <laughs> it funny yeah. is he's yeah. just being hyperbolic with a lot yeah. of it. Right. They, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and definitely that's, I mean, what you described there is, James Bond in space, right? Like it's, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, the one thing, if I, if I could just throw a little caveat on it, the one thing I will say is one of the problems I encountered when I was doing a lot of research and reading on thrillers, especially secret agent or superhero type narratives, is you often have a flat character arc. And this was a concern yes. for me. Because it's like they come into the story, they have all their abilities, and it's really about what you're going to put in front of them, right? And are they going to right. be able to right, conquer it? And yeah. that bothered me as a character-driven writer. I wanted that wants and needs thing in there. And so what I did was I developed a kind of a subplot where the Lane is a uh, struggling poet. 
Okay. She's sort of like a bad poet, um, but wants to be a good poet. And so I, I wanted that there so that I could kind of balance out the idea of you're, you're incredible at this one thing you do, but you're, you're not very good at this, but you want to be. And so you have an, you have a complex about it, you know, and you have these wants. Um, and, you know, I wanted that kind of there. And as I wrote the book, it actually did this wonderful thing where it kind of like, wove to it wove together with the main narrative in a way but it gave a, a little bit of I, I felt like an arc of development to the character that wouldn't have otherwise been there yeah that's i'm glad that you said that too because i mean james bond is kind of the textbook when you're talking about character arcs that's your is your he's your textbook flat character yeah. arc so yeah, totally yeah so I, i'm glad you brought that up and to differentiate that because that i mean if you're like you said a character based writer yeah you know you you do want some sort of arc for your character so yeah absolutely that's great um so you know tell me a little bit more about the world that you created and what was the most difficult part of creating creating the world yeah so the world is very much like um you know if i was to generalize it it is very much like a star wars universe it has a very andor feel okay so it's a multi-species universe so it's you know it has ftl um it's a soft science fiction universe things just work um, you know, people can just jump in things and shoot off from here to there. Blasters just do what they do. I don't explain why or how. Again, it's the character side that's more interesting to me. Um, and, you know, I think that the di- two difficult things that I encountered, the first difficult thing was figuring out how to balance that pace of a thriller with the world building of a space opera or a space adventure. Right? How, okay. do you, how do you provide enough information to the reader to make this world believable as a secondary universe while keeping them moving forward at that thriller pace? And so I really had to pull back a lot on, oh, but I really want to tell you about these trees. Right. I really want to tell you about this culture and its language. Nope, not here. That save that right. for the epic space opera. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is, is I'd never written aliens before. So this was the first time that I, okay. I actually wrote a uh, non-human based sort of, or, or right. a, a, a world with more than just humans in it right. um, okay. in space. And that was a challenge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so what was, what was challenging to, about that for yeah. you? Like what did you find the most difficult? Well, I mean, first of all, just having to, you know, on the on the basic level, just kind of having to invent variants on humans or completely new species and not mm. be, um, you know, cliche about it, yeah, and right. trite, trite about it, right? Like, you know, you don't want to default to, to what's out there. Mm-hmm. And then I really got into and started enjoying the possibilities of the speculative aspect of that. But, you know, there's so many things to be really cautious about. You don't want to um, become anthropocentric, right? And like impose human limitations on non-human species. Um, and so it was hard, you know, it was really hard. Um, and, you know, describing things, I needed to be really careful with my language. I found myself at times falling in implicitly to like talking about, you know, relationships of anatomy between species in, in a way that was kind of centering from a human perspective, right. I had to decenter myself. 
Yeah, 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 that would be difficult. And you know, I I don't have aliens in my writing either. But I mean, now that you're, yes. you know, talking about all those things, like, yeah, that would actually. So I'm going to do it. A, a good friend of mine who's an author and a poet, Jean Paul Garnier, who runs Space Cowboy Books, he gave me the challenge after my Wind Tide series. He's like, I'm challenging you to write aliens. So Herman, I'm challenging <laughs> you to write. <laughs> Thank aliens. you. Thank you. For, yeah, I'm, and they will. I'm sure in a future series they will be. My current series yeah. is kind of set in our solar system, and it's really yeah. you know human based dystopian empire but um but yeah definitely not off the table for me (laughs) i commend you for that too because there's something that to me is very intimidating about writing in our solar system um just because you have to justify and connect right to to earth history yeah yeah it's um it it has been an interesting process but i've been enjoying it as well too so Trying, yeah. you know, you kind of have to keep things within the realm of reality somewhat, yep. like, because you're, you're yeah. here, right? So there has yeah. to be some basis for it. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it is, it has its own set of challenges. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking about the language that you created, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, you know, some of your scenes you wrote in a second person mm. point of view, which is something that, you know, as authors, we're often told, don't do that. I know. <laughs> so, I know. and I, and I, you know, and I have read Stellar Instinct. I don't think I had mentioned that previously, but you know, there, you did a, I think a great job in handling the, you know, the second person point of view. So, you know, what was kind of your thought process behind that and how did you approach that? Yeah. How did that, you know, that come about? Yeah. I have a history of doing some weird POV stuff. That's a little bit sort of a no, no, like slap on the wrist. (laughs) So like my first book was alternated every chapter between first and third between two characters. My second book had an interior imaginary friend that alternated between first and third. So I've done some weird stuff before. So I was a little comfortable doing it, but in this case it was totally driven by um, gaming. And by how, you know, when you work with, um, whether you're doing like tabletop role playing, right, and you're looking in, let's say, a campaign guide, it's usually written in second person, right? right. So you you enter this dungeon and blah, blah, blah. Um, And I was thinking about, well, I want to write these scenes that are virtual reality, where the, the character is literally inside of a virtual reality. And I thought, well, I could do it in third, but... I kind of wanted to make the reader really feel like they were inside of that space. And so I took a chance and I rolled the dice and I thought, okay, for these scenes, you're going to be the character. And I'm, when I say you, uh, because I thought about it, I could have used like she, right. Or he. Uh, And then I thought, well, that, that, that pulls the reader away. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm going to do it. And I decided to use the you, you, you know, you walk into the boardroom and, um, you know, I think it worked. I mean, some people, you know, have problems with it. It's a little jarring, but a lot of people, some people was weird. Some people, I was like, what do you think of the second person? They were like, oh, I didn't even notice it. I was like, <laughs> what? And other people were like, oh, I really liked it. I thought it worked, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But that was really the motivation was sort of driven off of gaming yeah. and the fact that gaming uses use second person. Right. Um, and then thinking about virtual reality and wanting to immerse the reader. So they really felt like I lifted them out of the story world that's supposed to be physical and put them yes. into it like virtual world right yeah and i think you know the situations that that you used it in you know definitely worked in that context and i love the way that you explain that you know because it does work in that situation when as soon as you you know mentioned gaming and how that is in the second person then yeah i mean it definitely makes sense yeah (laughs) wonderful yeah wonderful 
So um, tell me about your favorite character in Stellar Instinct and what, what makes them special to you. <laughs> Yeah, this is like one of those questions, like, were they all my favorite characters? So, you know, um, I'm going to answer it this way and say, who's my favorite to write? Yes. Right? Okay. Because, I mean, obviously, Lelaine is the main character. So, like, she's going to have a, a, a really important place for me. But I would say the character of Pin, who is a Ultari, which is a four-armed, winged uh, creature, uh, an unusual usual species in the galaxy, um, rare to, to join the sort of larger civilized components separate from their own um, sort of worlds. Uh, Pin was the most fun to write because Pin challenged my abilities of just thinking about social dynamics because I really wanted to incorporate a character that had a very different social dynamic okay. where the kind of standards of etiquette or expectations of how we engage with one another conversationally and even um, bodily just was, was different, but wasn't different because they were being rude or because they were ignorant. It was different simply because in their world it's different. Right. And it ended up being such a fun thing because the reactions that I was able to generate back from the other characters really, it, it, it opened a, a kind of an, a, a fun play on thinking about what it must be like to engage with people who are so different. So like Becky Chambers, it takes me back yes. there, like long way to a small angry planet. Like just thinking about how you're on this ship with all these different species, right? Yes, exactly. And there's those moments of misunderstanding that continuously happen, right? With chef or something, right? And it's right. like, yeah. you know, and it's like um, that those are wonderful little moments that I think reveal so much about world building. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really liked writing Pin. Pin was really fun. Yeah, and that's you know, and yeah, but as you were talking, like yeah, that is like Becky Chambers. I was I had the exact same thing in my head. Yeah, so, um, you know, you have that flexibility. You know, when you're writing species that are new, that you can think about how we might interact and how they might yep. interact with other with other species yep. and how cultural differences will you know our own biases reflect in mm -hmm. our reaction to those. Definitely. Things. Yeah. Definitely. Wonderful. Yep. You know, and the, I think every single person I've asked that question so far, it always picks a side character. It's never, Is that right? oh yeah, my main character is great, but I really love this side character because you get to play with them a bit more. I was, was going to say, you're so yeah. right. Yeah, because that's what's so great about side characters, right? It's like exactly. you can you, you can be more loosey-goosey. Yes. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're not confined to, you know, the plot that you need them to yeah, follow. <laughs> you need them to follow. You can like, oh, they can do this, like this, this, un this unexpected thing. I, yeah. I definitely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And they're also the ones that shake things up for the main character. And oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, what can readers expect as they read your book? Uh, what kind of emotional impact do you hope to have on the reader? Wow, um, I'm a I, I like close close third when I write in third. Uh, so I really try to put you into the character, and um, as a result of that, I really hope that you. You know, you're feeling and experiencing all of the, the frustrations, the tensions, the joys with the character. But um, the one thing that I would say that really is important to me, which often doesn't isn't a word you you hear a lot when we talk about the craft of writing is mood. Okay. I am really big on mood. And I think to create a mood, you have to you have to really integrate personality of a character the setting 
right? The, the problem of what's happening, it all kind of has to work together. And in doing that, it, it creates a kind of an atmosphere or a mood. So I really like trying to do that. So readers can expect to get, um, hopefully, if it works, a kind of a really strong feeling of place and where someone is and what it's like to be in that place. Okay. Um, and that might be a good feeling. It might be a bad feeling. It might be a tense feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, pulling all the elements together and, yeah, love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, so what are you working on now? What uh, what can readers expect from you next? So I'm writing uh, another standalone Agent Renault adventure, spy-fi adventure. It's called Excellent. To Spy a Star, and it will be out actually December 5th. Um, I'm, I'm about seven, almost 70% done um, at this point as of today, so I'm shooting to finish within about a month. That's um, exciting. Yeah, and it's another sta- it's a standalone too, so it, it's mm-hmm. going to be a, a completely separate book. I'm hoping to create a series of these, um, you know, almost like a Bond style sequence where it's like you can yeah. read them, pick them up in any order. Right. That is such a, a Bond esque title too. I love it. <laughs> to spy a star. Spy yeah. A star, well, man. you know, there's so much that goes into titles, right? It's like yes. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that is a very it is a very bomb title, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. It fits it fits the genre. So it, it, that's yeah, it. right. It kind of takes us both of them, yeah, right? Yeah. Spy and Star. And yeah, you know I what you're took, getting when you pick up that book. I love that it. <laughs> took a long timer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. So um, so time for our last question, which is my favorite question to ask, I yeah. guess. Um, this is the greatest podcast in the multiverse. So can you tell me how in a parallel universe, a different choice might have shaped another version of your life? Such a great question. Um, uh, you know, I would say that probably I would have really liked had I had it to do again to ended up doing something around oceanography. Hey. I have a real love for the ocean and the sea. I grew up um, along the water. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel very at home in the water. Um, And, you know, when I was a kid, Jacques Cousteau was like a a hero of mine. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think, so I think, you know, something to do with oceanography um, would have been a really interesting other direction for me to go in. Wonderful. So is that something that, you know, that you still kind of hangs on to your interest on the side? Is that something you still kind of follow along as, you know, if you have, have a chance, I know, you, I, I know things are busy, but <laughs> not, not really, you know, I thought okay. long and hard about this too, actually, because okay, yeah. you gave it to me ahead of time. And it was a really hard question to answer, you know, cause it was like, mm-hmm. gosh, what, what would I want to do? Um, but you know, I, I don't really pursue it other than I, I just, there's such a joy that I get from being in the water. Right. Um, and you know, whether it's, in a, in a deep sea situation or, uh, you know, along the ocean shore, I just, I just connect. Um, and so I think having the ability to work in that environment and be in that environment would be, would be really exciting. Um, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you once again, Jonathan, for, for joining me. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and um, the best way that they can get a hold of your books? 
Sure. So uh, my books are on Amazon um, and my audiobooks are wide. Um, and you can find me at www.jonathannevere.com. And that's Jonathan with an N and then another N on Nevere. Um, I am also on social media, basically everywhere at J Nevere. Um, and usually that's Twitter, Instagram. I'm also just now on Substack. I have a blog there. Um, and that's basically the short of it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you once again for, for joining me. And I, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Jonathan Never. I hope you enjoyed that. Jonathan is so full of wisdom and writing advice as well as he uh he really has an introspective way of looking at his writing so i really enjoy that i will be having him on again um we'll arrange some dates possibly around the time his new release comes out to spy a star uh next week please join me as i welcome ae kincaid and we talk about humorous fantasy it's a bit of a different spin but i had a great time with amy and i know you'll enjoy that interview as well so hit the like and subscribe buttons and join me next week Thank you very much, and I'll see you again. Bye now. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed the show, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Greatest Podcast in the Multiverse. As well, you can help support the show by supporting me on Patreon. For as little as $5 a month, you can get early access to the show, as well as submit your questions for my upcoming guests. I hope to see you next time. Bye now.